0: If you would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're reading the last few verses of that chapter, verses 13 through 18. So just a a short section this evening, and we'll just go straight to it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Let's pray, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your wisdom to dwell upon us, to dwell within us. Lord, send your spirit, the spirit of wisdom and counsel to uh, give us the ability to to concentrate, the ability to comprehend, and the ability to put into practice, Lord, if your spirit uh, does not bring about the, the grace, the increase, and uh, uh, these words will be in vain for all of us. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would uh, bear fruit from your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I often say, uh, as my dad used to say, repetition is the key to learning. After William Jennings Bryan lost his presidential bid for the third time... He reflected on those repeated losses by telling a little story that went like this. A man under the influence of liquor invaded a dance somewhere down in Texas. As soon as he wandered on the floor, the chairman of the reception committee spotted him and gently led him from the hall. The woozy individual stood on the corner for a few moments and then returned. This time he was pushed somewhat vigorously into the hallway. He took a walk around the block and returned for a third time. This time, the entire reception committee kicked him downstairs. Just as he landed on the sidewalk, a friend came along and said, Bill, what's the matter? Bill scratched his head, felt his bumps and bruises and said, I know what's the matter with those people up there. They can't fool me. They don't want me in there. Uh, So if something gets repeated often enough, like getting thrown out of a dance hall, uh, eventually you learn your lesson. So repetition, key to learning. And the lesson in our passage is wisdom, because words for wisdom are repeated in almost every verse of the text that we just read, except for verse 14. Every other verse besides that one has some word for wisdom wisdom, and so that's telling you what's what the main point is here. If we just look at it again, verse thirteen, I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun. Uh, verse fifteen, there was found in it a poor, wise man, uh, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Verse sixteen, I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. Uh, Eventually, you learn the point. This is about wisdom. Well, uh, what specifically? um, uh, First of all, you know, okay, we get it. You want to talk about wisdom. Uh, What exactly is wisdom? A couple of things, just by way of reminder, I think we've talked about this in the series uh, at various points, but... One thing, wisdom is not, wisdom is not the same as just knowing a lot of stuff. You know, a person can know lots of information, they can know lots of facts, but they still might not be wise. A very uh, painful example that I uh, came across, none of you would know about this, uh, but uh, uh, in, my own, in my own experience in the last couple of months, one of the most brilliant scholars of Hebrew and ancient Semitic languages that I know, apart from my own doctoral advisor, who is the most brilliant, but this guy is really good. And he deserved, he had earned uh, one of the most prestigious teaching positions in Hebrew and ancient languages, one of the most prestigious positions you could get in the field. Uh, and... Uh, earlier this year, sometime this summer, I believe it was, he was arrested for possessing child pornography. Uh, here's a guy, he was at the pinnacle of the, his career, the pinnacle of the field. Um, he had the, the top position you could ask for. A man with so much intelligence, but biblically speaking, you'd have to say he was a fool. Um, among other things. Uh, uh, That was painful. I actually know the fella. uh, Met him, enjoyed interacting with him, and then uh, this uh, shocking uh, arrest and so on. So wisdom is not the same as just knowing a lot of stuff, uh, even kind of having a brilliant mind and knowing a lot of stuff. Second thing, wisdom is not the same as having strong leadership skills or other gifts like that. You know, some people, they just have this charismatic quality that you know, makes people want to gather around them and follow them. Uh, but we've seen it, I don't know how many times, uh, of those leaders, those charismatic leaders who fall, fall into sin. I mean, how many church leaders has this ever happened to, or political leaders, or business leaders, in any organization, any kind of organization, we see it happen. Somebody can have strong leadership gifts, but they're still, biblically speaking, fools. They're not biblically wise. I think more than anything, wisdom really has to do with spiritual maturity. It's someone who walks closely with God, someone who has a clear grasp of who they are and who God is, and have a clear grasp of how do you live the Christian life. Uh, Their walk, their talk, they match up. You can trust them to give you good spiritual advice when you ask them. They're the kind of people who exude the aroma of Christ, the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Spiritual maturity, I think that's really at the heart of biblical wisdom. And we saw in a sermon on uh, chapter 8, verse 1, this was just a couple of weeks ago, wisdom has this transforming or transfiguring effect on people. Uh, that verse says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom, it affects your heart, it changes your heart, and that affects how you come across to other people, how you treat them, just your whole demeanor uh, it gives you this kind of spiritual glow, I know that sounds a little fruity, a little you know hippie ish but uh, it 's true a godly life, a wise life does that for a person so I think that 's really what is at heart and in wisdom. Intelligence is involved, but it 's more about spiritual maturity well so let 's take a walk through the text uh just. quickly this evening and get our bearings on it. The first thing is the preacher, he tells this little anecdote of this example of wisdom that he observed, and this is mostly in verses 13 through 15 of the text. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun, it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. Great king came against it, besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Uh, This story, uh, it it illustrates some things that the preacher has talked about already in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's actually a parallel story earlier, if you remember, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. There he tells a story of a poor but wise youth who rose to the leadership of a country, led huge numbers of people, uh, in both of those cases, these wise individuals are described as poor. They are poor, but they 're wise and When we looked at that story back in chapter Four, I, I pointed this out back then uh, back in ancient times, people would not have associated wisdom with poverty. That would have been surprising to them uh, Someone who 's laboring all the time, you know working. On to dusk, kind of living hand to mouth, as it were, they typically don't have the time or the means to pursue an education. That, that's not a slam on the working class, which many or most of us are. Um, it's not saying that poor people are stupid and deserve to be poor or anything like that. It's just the reality that it usually takes some time and some financial resources to further your education to gain intelligence and Wisdom. I mean, our country, we try to make more opportunities for people to get an education through, you know, different kinds of loan programs or scholarship programs or grant programs. That's all fine, but don't miss the point there. Somebody's paying for that education somehow. I mean, regardless of whatever Bernie Sanders promised, there is no such thing as a free college education Somebody has to pay the bill. Teachers have to get paid. Somebody has to pay them. Schools need to get built. Somebody's got to pay for that. Books are not free. Somebody's got to buy them. You get the point. It's just the reality that uh, in general, historically, it's been the wealthier classes who've had more access to educational opportunities. They had the money Uh, to pursue education. And so so that's why first in the story in chapter 4 and now here in chapter 9, it's kind of a surprise, a little twist to encounter someone who's poor but somehow found the means, uh, somehow was able to gain wisdom. Chapter 4, it was a youth. Uh, Chapter 9 doesn't really specify. Is the guy young? Is he old? Just says, a poor but wise man. And he delivers a small city from overwhelming odds. Um, Wouldn't you love to know the details of this story? Uh, I mean, how does a small city with just a few people in it repel this huge army? I mean, did they devise some trap for the assaulting soldiers, you know, pits that they fell into? Was it psyops? You know, psychological warfare scared the, the enemy off? Did they find some biochemical weapon? You know, did they get disease running rampant in the invaders' camp? Ecclesiastes is not interested in in telling us those details, sadly. So, you know, Hollywood would love to know those details and make a great tale out of it. Ecclesiastes just ignores that. Ecclesiastes is focusing on the point that it's this one wise man who was able to come up with a plan that worked, whatever it was. Well, he ought to be the hero of the story. Uh, in a sense, he is the hero of the story. He ought to get elected mayor, I think, something like that, or have a parade in his honor. But verse 15 says that no one remembered that poor man. And that's actually another similarity with the story back in chapter 4, if you were to look back at that. Later generations didn't remember that poor but wise youth who rose to leadership. Uh, Similar thing here. Here's this poor but wise man, he delivers the city but he's later forgotten. I think probably, you know, his contemporaries, they must have paid attention to him because they followed his plan for delivering the city. So probably it's later generations that forgot about him. And I mean that's sad, isn't it? I mean you know, good that he saved the city, right? But sad that this achievement was forgotten. You would think that this impressive achievement, this impressive deliverance, it would have been celebrated, it would have been remembered. Every year they're going to have the commemoration of driving off the enemy forces day, whatever they called it. It didn't happen. The story is really pointing out the power of wisdom. It's powerful, it can overcome these great odds. You know, uh, Las Vegas, the betting line, it was totally in favor of the invading army. But just one wise man, <laughs> he was able to turn the tables. So if you had bet your money properly, you'd make a killing here. So uh, that's why it's so, why we should strive to be wise is because of the great power of wisdom. And uh, you know, yeah, we want the Hollywood details. We don't get those. But still, it's a great story. You know, deliverance, kind of a happy ending, except for that last line in verse 15. It's kind of a gotcha moment. You know, again, if this was a film, you'd, you'd think we're heading towards the traditional happy ending, but you know how it is. In the final scene, there's this twist, it makes you realize that's eh, not quite as happy as you thought. You thought the villain had been killed, but now you learn he's still alive and he's plotting his revenge already against the hero. Kind of like that in verse 15. This nice story about overcoming, you know, wisdom overcoming these overwhelming odds, uh, but then we get that line, yet no one remembered that poor man, the guy who had saved the city. In verses 16 through 18, they, they develop some of these ideas from the story of verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Even though the man's wisdom is despised, it's ignored, it's forgotten by later generations, it's still a good thing. It's still better than brute force. Wisdom is better than might. Goes on, verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And again, that's saying that wisdom is better to the alternatives, superior to all the other alternatives. I'm going to get back to verse 17 in a second. But uh, again, if you look at verse 18, there's another kind of gotcha twist here. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom's powerful. Right? That was the point of the story in verses 13 through 15. This little city, it didn't need weapons of war because they had this one poor but wise man. So wisdom is powerful, but here's the gotcha moment. Sin is also powerful, but in a destructive way. One sinner destroys much good. It's kind of like the mirror image of, uh, mirror opposite of wisdom Wisdom can be this powerful influence for good. You only need one wise man to make a, this great deliverance. But in the same, a similar sort of way, sin or foolishness, folly, it can be a powerful influence for evil. It's just wisdom builds things up. Foolishness tears it down. And the real focus in verses 16 through 18 is on the need to actually listen to wisdom. Verse 16, it's kind of bemoaning something here. It's bemoaning the fact that the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Great that the man had wisdom, but what benefit is it if nobody listens to it? Same uh, kind of focus in verse 17. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. The words of the wise will only benefit you if you listen to them, if you hear them and take them to heart. And so when we put uh, kind of these two sections together, the little story in verses 13 through 15, and then this sort of reflection on the need to listen to wisdom, verses 16 through 18, you put it all together, and I think it's trying to point out to us that we find it hard to listen to wisdom. As parents, we love to uh, quote the uh, proverb, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. You know what? Folly is bound up in the hearts of sinful mankind, young and old. And we don't want to listen to wisdom, not naturally. Why is that? Why do we find it so hard to listen to wisdom? Uh, Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to reflect on that, which is maybe an unpleasant reflection. You know, why am I so hard-hearted? Uh, gosh, uh, that sounds like a pleasant uh, thing to think about for a while. Well, we need to think about it, because that's what Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to do. Uh, it's trying to get us to reflect, why do we have such a hard time listening to wisdom? Uh, there are a number of reasons that come to mind. Some of these are just some general reasons, There are some other reasons that I think are indicated in the text, Um, just a couple of general reasons why. Uh, I mean, usually, of course, we just assume that we're right about everything. Whatever we think, whatever we believe must be right. So if I'm right and you're telling me something different, well, you must be the one who's wrong. We naturally assume that. We shouldn't assume it as much as we do. You know, I I think most people could do with a lot less self-confidence. There are some people who need more of it. That is true. I can think of specific people I know for whom that's the case. But that's very clearly the minority of people out there. Most people, by far the majority, they always think that they're right. So they have no need for anybody else's wisdom. And before you start thinking about all the people you know who you wish were listening to this sermon right now because you think I'm describing them, first understand I'm describing you. You are the chief of sinners in this regard. I'm looking at every one of you out there and myself. So let's get that straight. We all have a hard time listening to wisdom just because we assume that we're always right and we shouldn't. So we all need much more humility when it comes to thinking that we're right all the time. That's just a general trait of fallen humanity. It's not unique to us here this evening. All sinners are like this. So I'm not going to belabor that point any further. There's also the fact that uh, the wise will often tell us things that we don't want to hear. Uh, Looking ahead to the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 11, it says that the words of the wise are like... Goads, G-O-A-D-S. Do you know what a goad is? In ancient Judea, it was a sharp stick, a stick with a point kind of carved in it, and you would use that to poke and to prod your farm animals to move them in the right direction. Ow! (laughs) Not pleasant to get poked with one of these things. Uh, I don't know if Facebook still has it. There used to be this poke feature on there. You could poke people. It doesn't hurt at all. It's just this, you get this little notification. No, getting poked with a stick, you feel that. Nobody wants to get jabbed with a sharp stick. But we need it because we need to be guided in the right direction. And we aren't naturally inclined to move in the right direction. So we need to get jabbed sometimes and... That's uh, what's happening when wise men and women of God tell us things that we don't want to hear. They are doing it to get us moving on the right path, not going off on the wrong path. And they're doing it so we don't just stand still. We may be on the right path, but we may not be moving forward. We need to be on the right path and we need to be moving forward. And that's what goads are there for, as unpleasant as they are. That's just, again, a kind of general uh, reason. When we look at our text, I think it suggests some other reasons why we resist listening to the words of the wise. Verse 17 is quite interesting. It says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Part of the reason why we have a hard time listening to wisdom is that the wise don't shout. Fools and the rulers of fools, they do shout. They shout all the time. And we often equate you know, this, the impression of self-confidence. Somebody who sounds very confident, we think that, oh, well, they must be really right. They sure sound like they believe what they're saying because they sound so convinced of it. I think we all know this in our heart of hearts that people often raise their voices as a way of compensating for the fact that they don't really know what they're talking about. But they do know that if they say it louder, and if they make it seem like they're really confident of what they're saying, then you're more likely to be convinced of what they're saying, and they'll tend to go along, people will tend to go along with what uh, they're saying. The shouting of a ruler among fools I'll be honest with you, uh, it doesn't matter if whatever the subject is, you're talking theology, politics, arts and culture, you name it, I find more and more in conversation with people that the more dogmatic a person is, the louder they express their opinions and try to get you to accept theirs, the less I tend to trust that they actually know what they're talking about. Because fools shout... (laughs) They know they get attention when they do that. And they know they'll be able to kind of lead the gullible along. It's manipulation, essentially. The wise don't manipulate. They don't need to do that. They let the truth speak for itself. They let the truth convince people. The wise don't manipulate other people. They don't need to shout because that doesn't really add anything to the truth. The truth is powerful on its own. So... I think one reason this text is saying, one reason we don't listen to wisdom and is that we're, just, we're often taken in by loud people instead of paying attention to the quiet ones who actually know what they're saying. <laughs> another reason that I think comes out in this text, another reason we allow our perception of others, we allow our biases to cloud our acceptance of what they're saying. And I think that's the implication of our passage. I think that's one of the reasons why the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, because people were viewing him chiefly as a poor man and not as a wise man. So instead of listening carefully to what the guy said, the people just let their bias against the poor folk influence them and prevent them from really listening to what he had to say. This happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. It's hard not to think about the political realm and the media. And, you know, there are people, there are talking heads that you know, we immediately will just tune out, regardless of what they say. You know, we've heard this guy before. We've heard that gal before. they got nothing to tell me. It doesn't matter what they say. You know, based on who they are and based on their political persuasion, we're not even going to listen to them. I do it, you do it, we all do it. And there may be very good reasons for not listening to that person most of the time, but as they say, even a broken clock is is correct twice a day, right? It's possible that someone who has a very different perspective, somebody from the other political party or whatever, they might have something worthwhile to say every now and then. Is that possible? Of course it's possible. I'll tell you, you know, having spent a lot of time in academia and dealing with academic biblical scholars from all over the theological map, I talked a little bit about it this morning, I have learned how to glean pretty effectively. I've read books and articles and stuff from people whose theology is just atrocious. It's an absolute disaster. But they can still provide some useful insight into how this biblical passage ought to be interpreted or that biblical passage, and it kind of has forced me to to really look not so much at the speaker, but to listen more to what they're saying and to evaluate that. And I think the implication in our text is that some people just couldn't get past the fact that this man was poor, even though he demonstrated his wisdom by saving the city against some terrible danger that should have destroyed them. You know, the proof should have been in the pudding, but no, you know, this guy's poor. Maybe he just got lucky with this one plan. It's a lucky shot. All right, well, what's our application for this evening? The theme here is obviously wisdom. How are we supposed to respond to this? And uh, uh, first... uh, This is, I think, quite obvious. We need to see the superiority of wisdom. Verse 18, it says, Wisdom really is better than weapons of war. And we should desire wisdom because of this, because it is so superior. And we should desire wisdom because it's superior and not for some other end, not in order to become famous, for example. The whole point, or one of the points of the story in verses 13 through 15, it's, it's saying, you know, just because you're wise doesn't mean you're going to be famous. And wisdom won't act necessarily be profitable either. You can be wise and still be poor, like the hero of the story, like uh, the guy back in chapter 4. Or chapter 8, verse 11, this was part of our text last week, uh, makes this comment that uh, bread does not always come to the wise. You know, you can be wise Biblically wise, spiritually mature, godly. Financially, you know, it, there may be no payoff for you. You may be just as poor as anybody else. The wise don't always receive bread. You would think that wisdom would make a person prosperous and successful, but no, you can't assume that. So we should want wisdom because it's good, because it's superior, and not because we want wealth or fame. Or something like that. We should want wisdom simply because it's a good thing, and it reflects Jesus, who is the wisdom from God. And as I was thinking about it, uh, reading the the passage uh, over the week, it, it kind of occurred to me that verses thirteen through fifteen that could almost be a parable for Christ's earthly ministry. You know, he was poor, did not come from a wealthy, powerful family. By his wisdom, he saved the world. (laughs) And he didn't do it by calling upon legions of angels. He did it by knowing the scriptures, fulfilling the scriptures that spoke about a Messiah who had to suffer. And who paid attention to him? Who was faithful in following him? Well, A small ragtag band of oddballs and misfits, that's who, who, uh, you know, sometimes let Jesus down in the lurch. And most people paid no attention to him whatsoever. I feel like verses 13 through 15, it's almost this prophetic parable of Jesus' ministry. Well, we need to desire wisdom for its superiority, and we also need to take steps to develop wisdom. And I've talked about this before in this series, how do we go about developing wisdom. So we need to revisit that a little bit this evening. How do we develop wisdom? I think a couple things are indicated in our text this evening. First of all, we, we develop wisdom by listening more than we speak. That's clearly the implication of verse 17. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. You spend your time listening rather than speaking or shouting. You know, it's okay to not talk all the time. Really, it is. I didn't mean to look at you, man. Now, I'm thankful that in recent years uh, there's been more acknowledgement and appreciation of the fact that pastors can be introverts. You know, the stereotype of many pastors is that they are loud and gregarious and they talk and they tell jokes and stories all the time. But in reality, a lot of pastors, including both of the pastors of this congregation, are not like that. And it's not that we don't love people, it's not that we never tell jokes or stories. But as uh, one of my friends in ministry once said to me uh, many years ago, early on, he said, Max, uh, you are not the guy at the party with the lampshade on his head. Okay, fair assessment. Uh, Pastors don't have to be the life of the party. And pastors also need to be willing to listen and not talk and preach at other people all the time. And the same principle holds true for all of us. A willingness to listen uh, more than speaking. That's the first thing. Uh, Second, and this is very specific to our day and age, but we develop wisdom by studying the Bible. I'm going to start getting personal here. More than politics. I think that's another implication of verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. You don't need me to tell you. There's an awful lot of political shouting going on. Uh, you know, some people are political junkies. They spend all of their time listening to the shouting. Um, more than that, we should be listening to the words of the wise, and above all, that means listening to the words of Scripture, right? Because, uh, I mean, I talk to y'all, and so I know that several, many of you are distressed about the state of the world, the state of our country, the state of you know society and so on maybe because we're listening too much to the shouting of the fools and the rulers among the fools and the solution is simply to seek out the words of the wise to listen to more than that you all know I'm not saying disengage from politics and ignore it and all that kind of stuff but the only way we can engage with that faithfully is by being first trained in the wisdom of the scriptures. Otherwise, yeah, it would be very distressing. Third, and this is the last one, uh, we develop wisdom by remembering the wise, not forgetting about them the way the people did in this little story uh, in chapter 9. So I think that means we need to devote some time regularly to studying the history of the church and the wisdom that's represented there. Um, just going to say, if you think that we are at the highest pinnacle of Reformed theological thinking right now, you are badly mistaken. <laughs> Reformed and Presbyterian pastors are not nearly as well educated today as they were a century ago. I can assure you of that. Uh, And we can learn a lot from the pastors of a century ago or a couple centuries ago or go all the way back to the early church almost 2,000 years ago. Pastors back then had an awful lot of wisdom that we could learn from. So let's remember the wise. Brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's continue to pursue the wisdom of God. Let's pursue the wisdom that's found in the scriptures. And let's pursue the wisdom that's found above all in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do confess that oftentimes uh, our own wisdom is flawed. It's uh, uh, self-centered, self-directed. And so, Lord, no wonder that uh, we often are troubled, more troubled than we ought to be, distressed about things that uh, we should not be distressed about. Lord, help us to turn uh, to your Son, who is our holiness, righteousness, redemption, and our wisdom, and may we be encouraged by him, may we be indeed transformed, transfigured as we look to him, and as we look to uh, your word which speaks of him. Lord, uh, do give us spiritual maturity, help us to grow in our faith, help us to uh, put aside the sins that easily entangle, help us to take steps to put those sins to death. And may we just know the real joy of uh, uh, pursuing hard after you in holiness and righteousness. Lord, we need your grace uh, every step of the way. And so we ask for that humbly this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.